You're listening to The Whiskey Philosopher with Jeff Cooper on the Ignotainment Media Network. Undistilled thoughts, blended opinions on the rocks. Please listen responsibly. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 8 of The Whiskey Philosopher. Obviously, thanks again for taking the time to download this and listen to it. I appreciate the, uh, the you know, 30 to 60 minutes that you give us every week to listen to this. Thanks to all of you who've subscribed on iTunes and Stitcher. Again, really, really appreciate it. Um, I hope you enjoyed the last episode with Jim Cromer, uh, episode 7 of Youth Baseball Talk. If you haven't had a chance to go download Jim's podcast, please do it. Uh, they are absolutely fantastic, including his latest uh, with a young man from Pennsylvania who is a story that you're going to want to hear. So go take a listen to the Youth Baseball Talk uh, with Jim Cromer. I think I think you'll enjoy it, particularly if you enjoyed our conversation uh, from a few weeks ago now. Uh, we've had a great response from, from that podcast, and as always, I appreciate the feedback on the show. Uh, we got a huge number of emails uh, this past week. Hopefully we'll get to a few of them a little bit later. Um, and speaking of which, if you do have comments or questions, you can always email me at jeff at the whiskey philosopher, um, or you can leave a comment on our website, whiskeyphilosopher.com, or, uh, you can also leave a comment in the comment section, uh, at iTunes or Stitcher. Um, so for this week, as you know, no different than last week's, uh, we have two goals. The first is to taste a good whiskey, and I'm hoping we're going to do that uh, this week or a bourbon and report on it. Uh, and the second is to talk to a different guest or on a different topic each week, give you, give you something to think about, explore how different philosophies on life affect us each day. And I think today you're really going to enjoy, uh, the, the story that we have. It's, it's, uh, it's something that all of us sort of experience, but, uh, we get to experience the front end of it, but not the, not the, the other side of it. Um, and so I think you'll enjoy that. Our whiskey today is a bourbon, uh, call, it's a bourbon whiskey called Stag Jr. from Buffalo Trace in Frankfort, Kentucky. We'll come back to that a little bit later in the show, but I wanted to give you an idea up front of what, uh, what we'll be tasting. Um, and what I want to get to now, though, right off the bat, is I want to introduce my guest for this week, Ed Heath. Uh, Ed is the head chef at Cleveland Heath Restaurant in Edwardsville, Illinois, outside of St. Louis, Cleveland Heath has been one of St. Louis's top restaurants since its founding in 2011, but recently it's gotten a good amount of national recognition for its amazing food, drink, and ambiance. And in fact, our guest, Ed Heath, was just nominated for a James Beard Award, which is basically the chef version of an Oscar. Uh, it's a huge accomplishment and a, and a really, really big honor in the culinary world. Uh, Ed, welcome to the show. Congrats on the Beard Award. Thank you very much. It's uh, really, really cool. Um, by the way, I was reading as I was as I was reading up on this. I was I was going through and and uh, checking out all the stories on you and the great restaurant and everything else. And uh, I love the the story of how you found out you had actually been nominated for a Beard Award. Can you can you tell us that? Yeah, we uh, uh, kind of we follow the Beard Awards every year. We've got a lot of friends down in the city that uh, kind of regularly get nominated. Um, all really great chefs, great restaurants. Um, and we always try to follow and make sure that we, you know, send out congratulations every year. Um, and I was very selfishly looking at it, um, knowing that the announcements were coming in about 15 minutes. And when uh, 
in my head, I thought, you know, there's no way, you know, fuck it, I'll just, I'm going to go get ready for the day. And I got up and right. got in the shower. And when I got out, a phone phone call from a friend of ours at Sauce Magazine. And she said, uh, congratulations. And I said, for what? She said, for, for being nominated. And I literally, like, I just couldn't speak. It was... I told her, holy shit, and she said, I need a quote for the magazine, and I just said, all I've got is holy shit right now, I need to call you back. <laughs> and she actually published that in the magazine. So. <laughs> That's what, I love the quote. The quote was, holy shit, Jenny and I were certain we'd close in six months after we opened. Everything's <laughs> been an awesome surprise. Yeah, it has been. It's been, it's been unreal. So. Well, that's amazing. And, and speaking of that, Jenny is, is your girlfriend, and, and I want to get to, as we go through this, obviously a number of things, but first of all, explain to me um, what your thought process was in, A, having the balls to open a restaurant, which is obviously, as everybody in the world knows, it's, it's an incredibly risky venture, but then to open one with your girlfriend. <laughs> how, what was the decision-making process like for you guys? Uh, you know, we, I think in the back of our minds, um, before we had met, kind of had it. And, you know, I don't want to say I've, I've not been in the career or the, the restaurant industry my whole life. I've, I kind of stumbled upon it, um, not knowing that it was a full-fledged career. Um, and I was in school for natural resource management. And kind of when I found out that it was a very fulfilling career was when she and I met. And, um, you know, right in, early on in my career, I had it in the back of my mind, I wanted to open a place. Um, but really having no way to know exactly how to do it. Um, and she pushed me in a lot of really positive directions. We talked about going to culinary school. We talked about um, how to further yourself every day, you know, what to read, what to do. And um, we just kind of dropped everything. Every, every time something came up in an opportunity or whatever, we dropped everything and, and took advantage of it. Um, and it worked out really well to this point so far. It's, and that's really interesting to me, how you guys arrived to where you are today. What, what was it from a career standpoint? You said you were going to school for, for natural resource management. Mm -hmm. So how did you go from there to, to now being a Beard Award nominee? Like what's the, what was the chronology? <laughs> uh, Let's see. Uh, I graduated from high school in 2000 and um, moved out of state to go to college. And then when I came back to Salt Lake City, you know, during college I had been, you know, a busser, a bar back, um, you know, a half-assed bartender. Um, <laughs> and she, she and I, when we met, I had been taking over a kitchen um, as a kitchen manager in Salt Lake City. It's called the um, Desert Edge Brewery at the pub. And really great people. They helped us, both of us. Um, get a start and they trusted us with everything. Um, they let us kind of play and experiment and do whatever we want to do with, with full faith in us. And um, they also gave us a lot of opportunity. And so at that point in time, I had bounced around a couple of their restaurants and um, she had worked in a couple of places in, in the city that were mom and pop places. We worked directly with the owners. Um, and she said, you know, what would you do if, if you could really further your career? And I said, well, you know, if we weren't here doing what we're doing now, I would go to culinary school. And she said, well, then why don't we just go? And we researched everything and picked out, you know, the Culinary Institute of America. It's kind of the, um, it's the school, I guess, that if you really want to um, take your business aspect very seriously and um, go beyond the cooking part, that, that that's kind of the, the school to go to. So we literally dropped everything. We, we don't have any possessions. We don't have kids. So right. we um, took off to Napa Valley and uh, I got a job as a sous chef at a nice restaurant called Joe Lee. And we 
lived there for about four years, graduated. She worked um, at the French Laundry in Ad Hoc. And I mean, I, I'm a, the biggest fan of hers. Just watching her career blossom over time has been incredible. Uh, and we lived in Napa for about a year and a half before we heard about this opportunity in Edwardsville. Um, and we've been looking all over the place. We looked in Napa, Salt Lake City for places to open. And everything that popped up just didn't sound quite right. And we got a phone call from her sister saying that a, a space that we're in now, um, which was a restaurant that we really wanted to go to, we actually had made plans to come out to eat there. It was called Fond. Mm-hmm. Um, her sister called and said a space has opened up. And Jenny made a joke saying, you know, why don't you send Ryan over there to check it out? And he took video and sent it back to us. And we had been a bunch of times to Edwardsville to check it out. You know, she's from this area. And it just seemed too perfect. You know, the, they had put a lot of work into it. And it's unfortunate that they had to close. But from our standpoint, it was perfect. I mean, it was beautiful. Right. It was a beautiful space. So we flew out and met the landlords and discussed kind of our philosophy and what we're going to do. And they, they took a chance on us, too, um, to... 20-somethings that have no idea what they're doing, it seemed like at the time. Um, And we, from from the moment we quit our jobs and moved out to Edwardsville and opened our doors, it was six weeks. So amazing, it it flew by. Well, because that was going to be my question, right? So with with two highly trained culinary professionals, which you you were at that point with the the degrees that you guys had gone and, and gotten and the experience that you had at the type of restaurants that you were working at in in the San Francisco area, the Napa area. My question was going to be, you know, most most people with that profile go to Chicago, Vegas, you know, Napa Valley, Miami, New York, you know, you name the culinary capitals of the United States. That's where those folks end up. You guys picked Edwardsville, Illinois. And I know that Jenny is from here, which, which obviously dictated part of it, but it sounds like it was really just opportunistic. It was, it was the opportunity was there, and why not take it? Yeah, you know, New York, Chicago, LA—they're they're very cutthroat, and I don't want to say that our decision was made based on fear, but it was definitely based on the fact that we had no money. Um, it was kind of jump off the diving board and go for it and see what happens. And I feel like Edwardsville spoke to us in a lot of ways. Her family has a couple of restaurants in in this area, Josephine's. Wang Gang, uh, Uncle Monkeys. It just seemed like, you know, if if we were to struggle at all, that we had the means to survive with a family that, that cared. Um, right. And her grandmother was actually incredibly generous and loaned us, you know, the start money that we needed. Um, and, you know, we had been reading about St. Louis for a long time. Um, we had subscribed to Sauce Magazine before we moved out here. Um, we were reading about Gerard Kraft and Kevin Nashen for a long time. Um, little tangent side story. Um, when we decided to move out here, I was working at a restaurant called Farmstead, and we hosted uh, Cochon events. Um, one of them being the um, not five five five. It's their at the time it was the beginning of their I think their, I can't remember what they called it, but it's their whole animal feature. Mm-hmm. And they had Chef Nashen and um, Chef Gerard out to because they were they were being featured at the at the event. And uh, I went to work one day, and somebody came up to me and said, hey, two guys are looking for you from St. Louis. They wanted to, to say hi. And I met them both just kind of having no idea really what I was getting into or that they were there. And they were so nice and so good to us. Um, and just right off the bat, I, we knew it was the best decision that we could have made. So when we got out here, you know, them and Kevin Woolman came up to check on us all the time and say, we're happy to have you. And 
everybody in town too all the restaurants in town have been really good to us since the beginning so so for those two guys just to give them a plug on on the show mm-hmm. what are their restaurants in st louis uh well gerard has quite a few um niche uh taste uh pasteria uh, more there's more than that um he's starting starting a, a fast casual concept as well and then um uh, Kevin Nashen has um, the Peacemaker and the longstanding Sydney Street, um, which are all all their restaurants are incredible. I mean, not to mention so many others. They get a lot of attention in St. Louis, but um, all the other people that have supported us have been incredible. Their food is putting St. Louis on the map. That was the other thing is that we, since we had been reading about it, St. Louis is on the on the rise big yeah. time, and they they are the catalysts behind it. And so we thought maybe we can go and help to have an impact, and uh, you know couldn't have done it without anybody in town supporting us the way they do. Well, that's what was amazing to me, too, about your Beard nominee, is that you're not competing, and not that this is a competition, but you're not, in, in the award sense, you're not even competing against those guys in St. Louis. You're competing against Chicago restaurants <laughs> yeah. and the folks here, I mean, the folks in, in, in Chicago, which is obviously, I mean, from a culinary standpoint, it's a whole nother world. I yeah. mean, it, as, as well as St. Louis is doing and as hires are rising and the stars that you're mentioning, including yourself, that we have in the area, to, to, it's, you know, that's a whole different ballgame than dealing with you know, the, the sort of celebrity chef uh, uh, atmosphere that goes on in Chicago. Oh, my God. I mean, the fact that uh, Chicago is incredibly high caliber. I, we've been to New York, and the food is incredible. I, I just can't help but think that Chicago is some of the best food in the nation. I mean, we, we get the chance to go up way more frequently than we do to New York or, or California anymore. Um, but what's going on there is it's a huge gamut. There's, you know, you've got the kind of the low end, you know, Italian sub kind of thing going, and then you've got the Michelin stars. It's a pretty incredible place to be. Um, and to be in that category makes me want to pass out sometimes, you know, I, (laughs) I don't think that we'll go beyond the nomination, which is fine because just having that is incredible. But, um, there's a lot of really, uh, incredible restaurants and people up there. We've, a couple of people have sent us, um, letters saying congratulations, uh, chef, or I'm sorry, farmer Lee Jones, Mm -hmm. incredible guy who's started kind of the movement from, for farms to go into restaurants. Um, and then um, um, Andrew Zimmerman from Sepia in Chicago sent a nice n- letter saying congratulations. So what what a huge, you right. know, it's, it's been great. People are so, so kind. Yeah, no, it's amazing. You're on the map at the end of the day, right? <laughs> it's really, it's after a lot of hard work, it, it is, it's amazing to see. I just hope it means I'm forever employable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Get the old long-term contract, right, right? like pro sports. <laughs> um, so question, taking a, taking a step way back before. Did you have an as a kid? Did you have an interest in in cooking as a kid, or was it something that came to you later? Uh, I would say for the most part, it came to me later. But uh, I (laughs) definitely—I was a fat little kid. I loved food. Um, (laughs) But you know, we weren't much of a cooking family. My mom raised three boys by herself, essentially, um, and she just did everything she could. So food, you know, kind of the luxury side of life wasn't really there, and so it was. We need to get you fed, get nutrition in your body. and uh, um, But really towards the teenage years is when I started to have a little bit of a vested interest. You know, I had my first cookbook at 16, and um, I would just pick through a closet and cook a little bit here and there. Um, so stop there for a second. You yeah. had your first cookbook at 16. That in and of itself is is not traditional, right? It's not sure. uh, your, your average 16-year-old boy, I don't think, goes and gets a cookbook. Where'd you get it, and where'd that interest, you know, where'd that interest start? Was there an inspiration? Was there somebody that you knew that 
that cooked, or was it something that you just had always enjoyed? I think it, I really just think that it came from, you know, my, my mom, she's not the best cook in the world, but she definitely cooked things that I loved, and I still to this day wish that I could have them. Right. Um, and she knew that I had an interest. She was trying so hard to get me. I was the youngest of three boys, mm-hmm. and my, my brothers were gone out of the house, and she was trying to help me find a focus. Um, and found that food was kind of the focus and she bought me the cookbook it's called the um, i still have it at the restaurant it's southern it's like the southern table or something i can't remember exactly and she just kind of helped me buy things and and gave me the time to put things together and and um i didn't know at all anything about the career field Mm -hmm. i just thought it was about putting stuff on a plate and eating it um and then when when i got to college um Restaurants were kind of just a way for a transient person to make money mm-hmm. while they were getting through their, their degree. And then I started reading about people and about, you know, you can really go a lot of places. You can see a lot of things. You can you can meet incredible people. Um, and that's where it really started to blossom for both of Jenny and I. She, she's been in it her whole life. If you ask her, she's since day one, she was bussing tables at her aunt's restaurant. So she is born to be in this industry for right. sure. Absolutely. No, you can tell. I mean, there, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. And the way the restaurant is run is incredibly professional. Um, so just one final question on that. Were you always an artistic kid? Was it something that you, you know, I don't mean artistic like in your drawing pictures, but, you know, was it creative and and was that always part of what you were doing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I kind of always went to the to the beat of my own drum. Um, my family, just in general, is very introverted, and so we all find our passion through um, kind of researching it by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how artistic I was for sure, but the fact that I was very driven to find things that I was interested in, anything, and I would pursue it like crazy. Um, and so when it came to food, that was something that I became really obsessive about and still to this day I'm obsessive about it I I don't know that anything in my opinion I know very little about anything food but that means to me that that's the most wonderful thing in the world I have a whole lifetime of food to look forward to and to learn about so I don't know definitely not artistic I don't think all right (laughs) but creative I guess on some level well so you you know you mentioned the the drive and the the Oh, what's the right word for it? At the end of the day, it's really curiosity, right? When Absolutely. You, when, you, when you get into something, you're really curious about it. And you're going. Mm-hmm. So, what's a typical day for you now? You you know you you've got you've got a thriving restaurant and you know everything that's going on. So you're an employer, you're a chef, you've got all these ingredients. To your to your point, you're tr- you're still you have this you know sort of undying curiosity about food and what you're doing. What's a typical day hold for you? Um, you know, now that we've um, really ironed out a lot of kinks, uh, I do get my days off. I get Sunday, Monday off. So those, you know, I'll spend a lot of time sleeping, recovering. <laughs> um, I love to eat out. We go out. Gosh, you know, if we can, we get out as, as much as three or four days a week. It doesn't always yield itself to that. But uh, so Sundays and Mondays are, are good good times to eat out for us. Um, my day starts at the restaurant Tuesday. Uh, I get in about eight. Um just making sure that everything's good. Go through, smell, touch, taste everything. Make sure that we're not shy on anything. Um, you know, we check our Yelp reviews and things like that. We just make sure that things are able to function appropriately. And then from there, if I have to step online and cook for a while, which is kind of always the case, um, but if I, we have a really strong crew right now and they do a lot of it for for um, Jenny and I. So um, I'm, right now I'm trying to get us on track for being even even more local during the winter times. So our 
menu during the summer can be up to 85% local product, um, really nice Illinois product specifically, um, but also a little bit of Missouri product. But during the winter, we kind of plummet. There's no produce. Um, a lot of our proteins will be local. So right now, I spend a lot of my time trying to research and figure out who I can contact, who can keep up with our volume, um, who has product that treats animals correctly. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people brand us um, pretty hardcore as only local and completely organic. And you have to kind of take a step back and say, we've got a business to run. In order to stay open, that's not always true. Right. Um, so now... I'm trying to focus us more so that instead of going through the extremes of having that local product only in the summer, I'm trying to get us through being a little bit more even during the winter and, and the fall because um, that's where we really suffer. So um, springtime's a lot easier. But, um, uh, but then after that, uh, after I kind of do our research and try to figure out where I can go, we'll do a lot of menu research. We try to change every five weeks. Mm -hmm. And so every every day is kind of spent looking through books, tasting things, looking through our photos, where we've been, what we've done, um, and then deciding what the new menu is going to look like, where we're going to get it from, how we're going to process it online. And then we go into evening service, which I might have to go back online to cook. And then somewhere around 10 or 11 o'clock at night, I take off and I go exercise. Mm -hmm. um, I can't do it in the morning. I'm just not a morning person. Um, I But I leave and, and just kind of go do whatever I can do for the night, and it really resets me for the next day. Yeah, that's great. It's pretty good. That's fantastic. <laughs> Well, speaking of resetting for the next day, why don't we taste this whiskey? Sounds great. And, uh, and we, are you an ice guy? Are you a rocks guy? Uh, no, I'm a neat, neat, neat guy, yeah. I go rocks, which makes the, the whiskey uh, Nazis hate me. But no, no. I'm going to go a little bit of ice here if I can get it out of here. It's <laughs> all melted together. you got to do what you like. It's, yeah, you know, exactly. There's no one way to do it. See, that's the nice thing. It's a nice way to put it. Most people who, who email me don't say that. <laughs> I think a lot of people look at restaurants as being kind of the uh, end-all, be-all for philosophy, um, you know, and I just think you you got to do what you want. you got to like what you like, and there's no one way. Yeah, you know, for me, it's not necessarily – the reason that I go rocks is it's not necessarily to cut the whiskey, which I think a lot of people assume that, that when you drink whiskey on the rocks, you're drinking it to almost to a whiskey and water. Which is which is not the point. I, in fact, I generally I drink it too quickly uh, that the you know the ice doesn't get to water. For me, it's a temperature thing. Mm -hmm. I I don't know what it is for when when I drink whiskey neat. I just don't enjoy it as much as when I drink it on the rocks. Sure. Even even if I just drink it right now on the rocks, which is obviously very little water that's gotten into it. Yeah. Um, but it is. So anyway, so we're we're drinking Stag Junior uh, from Buffalo Trace. Um, and I'll give you a little story on Stag Jr. as we're as we're taking our first sip. So Buffalo Trace releases a bourbon every year, every summer, um, called George T. Stag, and it's super aged, really, really high end, and it's become incredibly expensive because it sells out in about an hour every summer. becomes sort of a collector's item. Um, so Buffalo Trace uh, has sort of made a little bit of a, you know, as, as bourbon is exploding all across the world their solution to people still being able to drink that mix but not super aged everything else is this stag junior um and it's basically a younger version of george t stag so since it'll be a little more widely available i figured it'd be worth it um so you guys out there can eventually get this one which you probably wouldn't you know unless you've got great uh access in that industry probably wouldn't be able to get the george t stag so we're going to try the stag junior um and i'm drinking it on the rocks ed is drinking it neat 
so cheers. cheers. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's interesting. It is. Um, it's a high proof, and you can. It's hot. Yeah. yeah. You can. You can. You can taste it. There's some serious heat in this. Um, what'd you taste? You know, um, it's kind of hard to step behind the or beyond the alcohol right now, but it is. Um, you don't get that kind of sweet aspect from it. Um, you get a little bit of the the vanilla in the barrel and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, it seems pretty simple, but it's also very straightforward. It's really nice and it is. It's it's hot. <laughs> that's yeah, for sure. It really is. It's there's a lot of heat. You're right. I taste you know the vanilla. A little bit of honey, certainly. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the oak from the barrel—you get the whole thing. But whew, that's a—that's one that I'm happy that's on the rocks. I'm yeah. actually let that sit for a second. It's yeah. uh, it's a it's it's got some heat, but it's uh, um, Stag Junior. If you see it out, you can get it. Um, you know, if you're a neat guy, go neat. That's brave. That's brave. <laughs> I, I would that's say brave. maybe an ice cube on this <laughs> at this point in time. <laughs> exactly. That's brave on this one. Um, so, by the way, the, the one thing I do have to say too. As we drink this whiskey, um, obviously I wouldn't do a show called The Whiskey Philosopher if I didn't love whiskey and bourbon. Um, for all of those, all, all of you out there that are listening to the podcast, obviously, uh, you know, getting to know Ed, you're going to have a huge incentive to go to Cleveland Heath, and I and I I I hope that you all do so. Don't bypass the bar when you go to Cleveland Heath. One thing I love about your restaurant is that is that in today's world. You know the 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 art of the bartender is being lost more and more every day. I think it's probably seen a little bit of a comeback now because the you know it's getting to be more and more. You know the 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 um, the bar is becoming a, a little bit more important. But for years, right, the bar the bar just went away. It was all about the food and the and the actual you know experience of the meal itself. The bartenders at Cleveland Heath are beyond amazing. They. It's so rare, in my opinion, to find a bar where the bartender actually really gives a shit about the drink he's making. Yeah. And when you walk into Cleveland Heath and you order, you know, whatever drink you want, for me, it's almost always some sort of a whiskey drink, a Manhattan or whatever, y you see the care in which they make it. Number one, the knowledge to make all those drinks, mm -hmm. first of all. I mean, it's the skill to do it. Then the effort and the thought and the care that goes into it. It really is amazing. Your bartenders are, I mean, just fantastic. They're 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 incredible people. Uh, you should try the Sazerac. Let Eli make you a Sazerac. It's right. one of the best I've ever had. He's, you know, these guys are. I, I feel like I I look up to them a lot because they uh, they know way more than I'll ever know. I mean, I like I said, it's a learning experience every day for me. So I'm excited that I own a restaurant and a bar where I can go in and right. pick things up and learn every day. Um, but these guys are incredible. Um, and they do. They care about every single drink that goes out. It, it, it was for a long time all about slinging as many drinks as you could, but I definitely feel like the resurgence is there for sure. Um, it's pretty incredible to watch people taste what they're doing and look at it, and if it's not right, they start over, which is kind of the theory of food. You can't, Absolutely. You can't send something that's not right. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is if you want, if you want a Budweiser or you want you know, Jack Daniels on the right or whatever, yeah, we, whatever, we're there to provide it. For you, we're there to make you feel like you're. No, it is. It's it's really. It, I mean, honest to God, when I walk into to the bar area of your restaurant, I feel like I've been transported to like the 1930s, right? <laughs> and you got you got the bartender who's lived his life to be a bartender. It's a it's a career. It's a skill. It's it's you know, 
it's it's a profession and and I think you know so often in in the bar world, the restaurant world, to your point, it's just it's churning drinks, which means, by the way, churning bartenders. So they don't really stay very long because right. it's whatever. I'm in college. I was a bartender. I did it in college. Yeah. I mean, I, I was probably the worst bartender in the world. <laughs> but these guys, it's it's a job. It's a profession. It's a skill. And it really is. It really is amazing. Speaking of which, what is your favorite whiskey or your favorite whiskey drink? You know, I kind of go all over the place. Um, I'm moody on that respect. Um, right now... Um, my favorite whiskey, gosh, it's so hard to pick. I, I can't really pick one. Um, but my favorite drink right now, um, is between a Manhattan and, and a Sazerac. Um, I've been really getting into gin a lot lately. So whiskey's taken a little bit of a backseat. Right. Um, but you know, with the, with the resurgence of whiskey, I'm pretty excited that it's there permanently, yeah. you know, and it's growing and there's so many people doing it and, um, so and and rum, I've been getting into rum a lot lately too. Um, so I can't pick a whiskey. I, I really can't. It's too hard. Uh, I, a friend of mine gave me a bottle. I think it was bottle number thirty-two of the Willet. Um, oh yeah, it was awesome. It was so so. I'm definitely always going to be a fan for sure. Let's go to maybe maybe we'll do another show. We'll do the gin philosopher. Yeah, we'll do a whole gin <laughs> thing. <laughs> no, that'll be good. So what one thing I do need to do is um, because I've got a lot of other stuff I want to cover with you. But I've, I've, I get a number of emails every week, so I want to go through one email real quick um, because it was an, inter- an, inter- an interesting question. I did a little bit of research, and, uh, and I want to answer it. So we've got um, from Minnesota Mike, Dear Whiskey Philosopher, he says, Hey there, long-time listener, first-time emailer, which is pretty funny. Um, question for you. What's the best way to enjoy whiskey? I've read where th- pouring whiskey through an aerator can really bring out the flavor. Have you tried this, and is there any truth to that? To is there any truth that letting a whiskey breathe, much like wine, really brings out the best of the batch? So, Minnesota Mike, thanks for the email. First of all, um, I have never used a whiskey aerator, and Ed, if you have any comments on this, chime in. But I've never used a whiskey aerator. I went and and did some research on it, and what I found was, at least from the things that I could could, could figure out, is that there is no nobody really sees a big a big um, difference in taste, and my guess is how whiskey aerators came on is somebody wasn't able to sell enough of their wine aerators and figured it would be a good way <laughs> a good way to bullshit the public into into to uh, to buying one. But that being said, if anybody's got experience with you know a whiskey aerator that really brought out the flavor somehow some way, let me know. But that was what I what I found. Have you ever used one? No, um, I do think that with anything that sits encapsulated that. Uh, it needs a minute to open. Um, you know, it's it's like for us, if you ever bring in, you know, a box of chicken and it's happens to be in a hermetically sealed bag and you open it up, it doesn't really smell like chicken right off the bat. It mm-hmm. needs time to breathe for a minute. Um, so I do believe that if you pull a bottle of something, anything, give it a few minutes, but I don't necessarily feel like it would need to be aerated um, unless you're going to shoot it and you want all that, you know, delicious right. flavor right <laughs> off the bat. Exactly. Um, but, you know, the going back to the ice cube thing, um, it's in certain um booze respects you know with with uh uh kind of like a licorice base or an anise based um alcohol like an absinthe um when you throw ice cube in it luches and the idea behind luching is not only do you change the the color and the texture a little bit but a lot of people will theorize that it it will definitely change the the flavor profile mm-hmm. um and so if you really are looking for to to run the whole uh schematic of of 
what it's going to taste like neat versus in a cocktail versus, you know, with a dash of water in it, I think that definitely opens it up into several different categories. So. Yeah, no doubt about it. You're going to get different whiskey, per, you know, for in the different ways that you that you do it. No, agreed. So I have a question for you. We're going to jump back in here. We'll get back to some emails if we have time at the end. Um, New York Times restaurant critic walks into Cleveland Heath <laughs> one night. Does that change anything that you do? You know, not... The straightforward answer is no. Um, in in theory, if everything works out the way you plan it, everybody should have, um, hopefully, the best experience you can provide. Um, and that's what we operate on a lot. I think that's part of our successes have been that um, we give, we try to give every single human being that walks in our door this a very. I don't want to call it the same experience, but you know, an elevated experience. Right. Um, but we do have. Um, folks that come in that we, we kind of deem as uh, special interest mm-hmm. and, and we'll um, maybe I'll send some food out. Um, I'll try something maybe that's going to go on the new menu or if I've got something neat in that I only have so much of that I can't really special it out, but I can share with a couple of people. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it can be anybody. It can be my best friend from high school. It could be the New York Times editor. It could be, you know, you and your family. Right. Um, it's just kind of who we pick and choose. Um, and there have definitely been a lot of, um, people of special interest that I don't want to bother at all. Right. You know, just let them order what they want to order, and we'll hopefully hit everything on the head. Absolutely. I mean, th- that's probably the best way to, to give somebody a great experience is just say, do what you're going to do. I, our staff reply. is incredible. I yeah. think um, they they know when they've got somebody that they um, should probably think maybe twice about, I guess, is that, you know, like I said, everybody deserves the, the best experience possible, but if they have somebody that may be a little extra critical for the day, they, right. they handle it very well, and I'm, I'm proud of our staff for being able to sniff that kind of stuff out. They're, they're really good. Well, and I, I've got to double down on my, on my bartender comment because I would say the same exact thing about your wait staff. In fact, everybody there, I mean, I, and this is, this is not because you're sitting here. I've said this to anybody that will listen to me. I've probably had, oh, my God, 200 meals at your restaurant. <laughs> or I'm, try, I'm trying to do a, like a, a realistic number, but, I mean, it's been a gigantic number of, 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 of meals at your restaurant. And not only have I never had a bad experience, um, I've, I've just, you know, I've never had a mediocre experience. I've never walked in and been like, eh, you know, that was okay. I could have gone to someplace else. It would have been the same. It just never happens. And I think that's because of the people that you have working there on top of, obviously, the great food and the great drink and everything else. It's, you know, if you walk in and somebody smiles at you and somebody makes you, hey, how are you? You just feel good about it, right? Yeah. And that's what you guys have been able to do. It's you, incredible. You know, it's it's, it's really um, – it's a pretty amazing thing to have people that really care about their career field. Um, but one of the things that we do is is I it's – it's my biggest nightmare to have somebody say that it was a subpar experience. Um, and that's on my mind every second of every day. And so we always try to talk to our, our, our guests and say, hey, if you have anything that's subpar, you have to tell us. You know, it's it's kind of – it's it's a private agreement between you and me that you've got to tell me when something's right. not quite right. I got to know about it so I can I can fix it. Um, plus, it helps me learn. It helps our staff learn. They if if somebody says something wasn't quite right, we want to fix it. Yeah. And and so people send back food, and we're not believe me, we're not cussing anybody out. We're excited that they let us know so we can transform the situation back to what it should be. Right. So that that's I will go back to to my earlier comment about walking in and somebody smiling. I, I think that. You know, there are a lot of things, obviously, going to a great restaurant. You know that better than anybody. 
but but to me maybe the biggest thing is the ambiance it's the friendliness it's the you know sort of feeling like you're sitting at your kitchen table but it's way better food <laughs> and and somebody's waiting on you and somebody else is doing the dishes it's the nicest thing in the world how do you how do you and Jenny impart that to your staff how do you how do you continually create the ambiance i mean and i don't mean that from like the the light fixtures the people how do you how do you train that into folks on an everyday basis uh, i've got to give jenny a, a probably the massive majority of that um, um credit she she just cares about people in a way that i've i mean it's part of why i'm with her i i she's so incredible at what she does and she takes everything in life seriously but she's also able to have a really good time at what she does um and we're also really lucky to have a lot of staff members that just want to be that way. They want to give the, the best experience possible. But I also think that, to me, you have to be reminded every day of what you're doing. You can't just walk through life saying, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this for the day. It's not a job. It's, right. it's a, it should be a passion, um, and which means you have to think about it every day. And a lot of our staff would probably call me pretty annoying because every day that we're there, every moment we're there, I'm always trying to remind everybody why we're here and what our purpose is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Jenny does that even more so than I do. Um, but it's also giving people the opportunity to really care about what they do. They, you know, we take our staff's opinions and suggestions as serious as anything else. You know, if they think something's not right, and you know, our staff tastes our food all the time, and they'll they'll critique my new menu and they'll let us know what's not right about it, or maybe if we're getting away from our original purpose. Um, so they really are incredibly valued to us. We 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 want to hear everything they have to say. Um, and we formed a lot of, you know, the old adage used to be you don't want to have your staff be your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in complete disagreement with that. I think we want a relationship with everybody that works with us because we want to let them know how important they are on a daily basis. And so right. they just kind of transformed that for us. So yeah. it's it's been pretty good. No, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. The the along those same lines, by the way, inc- including imparting um, the the I don't know the happiness element of it. I cannot imagine a more stressful work environment than uh, the kitchen of a high end restaurant at dinner time on a Friday or Saturday night. When you know, I mean, it has to be a shit storm every thirty seconds. So, how do you? Or what is your philosophy on dealing with the, the, the stress and your own mindset, number one? And then, you know, how do you, like, how do you calm yourself? How do you become, you know, sort of zen-like in that, in that atmosphere, number one, for yourself? And then how do you impart that to the sous chefs, to the wait staff, to, you know, the bar staff, whoever it might be, across the board? Uh, I, you know, I think about that every day. Um, what what is it that we try to do to make sure that our experience, not only in the back of the house or the front of the house or as employees or employers or a guest, what is it that makes you really understand your surroundings? And I do feel like on some level, you know, we're humans, we kind of have a tendency to conquer our surroundings. And I think that that's the philosophy that I base, you know, we are in control of our environment. And if you let your environment control you, then I think you're in trouble on a lot of levels. Um, it doesn't mean you shouldn't care for your environment or, or you know, make sure that it's in best, the best health it can be in. But to me, you make a situation worse when you give it the ability to perpetuate itself. And mm-hmm. so a lot of what we do in the kitchen, yes, it gets chaotic. And we will hit the brink of chaos 
constantly will hit that ceiling. Um, but I always have to step back and say, you know, like you take that almost patriarch or, you know, matriarch aspect of mm-hmm. saying, hey, calm down. You know, we, we control this. Mm-hmm. Just relax, breathe deep, and you'll walk yourself through it. And a lot of it is just knowing where the right things are, how to be efficient. Um, you know, what, what what are your tools? Where do they exist? And how do you use them to help you conquer what's going on? And And so every day that we get in there, it's when you start to feel like it's going to get crazy, you take a step back and you help people kind of push their way through that little pressure. And it's not that bad. It's I always have to remind people, this is not the worst situation that you're going to be in. This is something that is actually quite easy. And you just have to make sure that you're getting through it appropriately. If you lose your temper, not good. If you feel like you're going to pass out, take a breather. You know, if you're dehydrated, drink water. Just give yourself the best opportunity you can to get through this situation. And it, for us, it seems to work a lot. And, and we have a lot of our own employees that can impart that kind of sense of calm in people. And they do a really good job. But when I started taking my days off, I would call in constantly and make sure everything was okay. And, and they were actually calming me down. Right. And so it, it's a big kind of philosophy of what we do in our, in our place. We want everything to work itself out. Um, to calm itself down. You know, our, if our guests are upset about something, we want to make sure that they get what they want to come back down to earth, you know. So where did you learn that? Where did you learn being able to, you know, in is it is it a is it a uh, uh, particular philosophy you follow? Is it a particular author? Is it, a, you know, a you know sort of a conglomerate of all that? Uh, it, it is. I mean, I, I love to read. Um, I don't, you know, Jenny's probably laughing at me if she's listening, but uh, <laughs> um, I don't read as much anymore. But there's a lot of authors out there that give you, you know, um, um, who's, I'm trying to remember who my favorite author is right now. Uh, he's a he's a Salt Lake City or Utah-based author. He did uh, The Monkey Wrench Gang. Um, I'm, he's space, I'm spacing him right yeah. now. But anyway, they, they write about, you know, Kurt Vonnegut will write kind of these chaotic stories and your mission is to kind of get through that story and figure out what they're talking about overall. And I've, it's not just in writing, it's, it's also in watching other people do what they do. I've had a lot of incredible bosses and some of them who have flipped out Mm -hmm. in the middle of everything. And I just know myself that I don't want to flip out. You know what I mean? I've lost control of my environment if I flipped out. And so it's constantly this thing where I'm reminding myself, you know, Hey, people are looking at you for the answer you have to provide it. You don't have a choice. Right. You know, I can never walk away from what we're doing. And so I just want to make sure that I've got all the tools that I need to make everybody else kind of come back down. So I don't know. Exercise plays a huge role in it. If I, yeah. if I don't exercise, I kind of lose my, uh, uh, Edward Abbey. That's the, that's the that's guy. He's a great author. Um, incredible author. Um, but yeah, just, it's just watching other people get to their brink and reminding yourself that you don't have to get to that brink. You know, you can, Absolutely. So what what would be, you know, understanding all that, the mindset and everything and all the training you've gone through, what would be your one best bit of advice for an aspiring chef? Uh, it's probably going to be a little bit more complex than just one bit of information. I think good. you have to remember that you'll never know everything, ever. You'll never know all there is about food. And so humility plays a big role in what you do. Um Treating people with respect, everybody you come across, you know, you, you don't know who knows who or what. You just, everybody deserves a level of respect. Um, I really do think exercising um, and taking care of your diet is a massive role in, in being a good, calm person and, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that you 
are doing things the right way. Um, and then in, taking time to, to be by yourself every so often. Um, you know, it's all those things I think play a huge role in how we do everything that we do. Yeah, no, I agree. And sleeping I, regularly too. That, yeah, that helps. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Basically take care of yourself at right. the end of the day. That's, I mean, that's, that's what it is. So I have a few questions to, to, to wrap this up. Um, the first is what is your favorite dish to prepare? Oh, um, that's a tough one. Um, I really, I get obsessed with things for short periods of time. Um, I love pasta. I love pasta and we don't feature enough pasta at our place, but it's just because we don't have an extruder and, um, but I feel like pasta is always a vehicle for incredible things. You know, you can feature, um, anchovies you can feature beautiful tomatoes you can just it's just a great vehicle uh, and and everybody from little kids to older people they everybody loves pasta so it's a good it's a good means to reach your audience um so i don't know that's it's a tough question there's a lot of things i love things on toast yeah <laughs> anything on toast <laughs> i like it that's good <laughs> what about what about the flip side of that what's your if you could have one meal what would it be or one dish what would it be to eat oh man uh for a long time it was sandwiches. Mm-hmm. It was really like you can you can put so many things between two pieces of bread. Uh, gosh, you know I'm I'm really simple. I'm a simple person. Soups, sandwiches, things that are like home, homemade, hearty, um, things that where I can actually consume my my level of vegetables that I need to consume for the day. Uh, um, I'm getting away from proteins and meat as much as I can. Not I'm not vegetarian by any stretch of the imagination, but just trying to to expand my diet a little mm-hmm. bit. So I don't know. Really just letting Jenny cook for me would be right. my, my <laughs> exactly. ultimate thing. Yeah, <laughs> That's perfect. Which leads into expanding your horizon. Other than Cleveland Heath, what is your favorite restaurant in the world? Oh, man. You got a lot of tough questions today. Um, there's a lot of places I haven't been um, that I know would be on this list for sure. Um, Recently, we went to New York and ate at Mission Chinese. That was an incredible experience. Um, I really do love, and I'm not just trying to plug St. Louis. I really do love, you know, the farmhouses. Um, I love Pasteria. I love, um, you know, the Tavern, Quincy Street, Beast. All the all the places in St. Louis. I feel like they're people who just make food that I can relate to here. They they get it. They make things. Everything is appropriately seasoned and. Um, it's the portion size you want and it's the creativity level you want without going too far and feeling like you're obligated to eat every, every you know, I want to eat every, every bite on the plate. So honestly, maybe, maybe just St. Louis food right now is really what's on my, my radar. Yeah. We, we eat a lot of places and, and things have been very good here as a, as the last three years that we've been here. No, that's fantastic. And I, and I agree. I think so many of those restaurants are, I mean, just absolutely fantastic well and i hate to leave out edwardsville everybody in edwardsville is is making that push to make st louis a better place for sure yeah no doubt it's it's a great community and it's an easy place to do it so Mm -hmm. uh i always end with this question it's my last question of the podcast all right um and before i ask it though thank you for coming on i really appreciate it thank you for having me you know it's good to it's good to, to to hear uh everything that you guys have got going on and it really is I mean, for me, living here, it's a treat to come into your place, you know, a few times a week and have a drink and have f- food, and my entire family loves it. And, and f- for all of us, thank you very much for what you guys have done. Thank you. Um, so the final question is, what is your definition of success? 
Uh, honestly, it's it's uh, to simplify it a little bit. It's giving a shit. You know, you have to you have to care about the minutia. You have to care about the people around you that help you succeed. You have to care care about all the the details that go into it. And it's it's hard. Uh, you know, one day I, I tomorrow I could be you know living in a gutter. I suppose um, just remembering that that. Uh, Every day is important. Taking mm-hmm. care of everything you have to do, and it's hard. It's frustrating, and it gets nitpicky, and it's it gets exhausting. But once you get beyond that frustration level, just remembering to care about everything every day is is huge. I mean, if if you lose sight of what makes you successful, then it'll bite you in the ass real quickly. Absolutely. No, I agree with that, and I and I I think it's great advice. Thank so you. I appreciate it. Appreciate the uh, thanks for the question. The time today. <laughs> yeah. No. No worries. It's. Uh, so, folks, listen. If you're if you're if you're in this area, go visit Cleveland Heath in Edwardsville, Illinois. Um, it'll be the best food experience of your life. I promise you that. <laughs> um, their website is clevelandheath.com. On Twitter, it's Cleveland underscore Heath. Heath is just H E A T H, by the way. Instagram, you can just search Cleveland Heath. There's a couple of different ones. One is one Jurors Ed. One is Jenny's. Yep. Um, on Twitter, you can also follow Ed at Eric. Ed Heath Eric. Yep. Right. E R I C. Yep. Yep. E R I C. Uh, Facebook. You're you're on Facebook. Um, if people want to call and check in, what's the best number to call? Six one eight three zero seven forty eight thirty. And I would like to make very very clear, by the way, that Cleveland Heath is open for lunch and dinner. Yep. Uh, so it's a it's a great place to go. Closed on Sundays. Closed on Sundays. No reservations, folks. So get there quick um, and get there early and enjoy it and ed thank you very much i really appreciate it and you know we'll have a little more of this stag junior as we as we uh as we finish this thing up i really appreciate it congrats again on everything and good luck in the rest of the beard process thank you very much we really appreciate it you're listening to the whiskey philosopher with jeff cooper on the ignotainment media network visit us at www.ignotainment.com